and welcome to this episode of Playfield Debrief. I'm your host, Josh Oliverio. Last time, you heard part one of my conversation with Kitchener Center MP Mike Morris. We talked about his path to election and his first few months in the House of Commons. If you haven't heard that part yet, I would invite you to listen using the links down below. Today, you're going to hear part two of that conversation, where we talk about his thoughts on the House of Commons and Canadian democracy more generally and how we can improve. Here's that conversation now. Let's talk a little bit more about the state of the House of Commons in general. There was um, a column by the Toronto Star's Althea Raj, I'm sure you're aware of, and it did not paint a very positive look on the House of Commons. What would you say are the biggest areas of concern that you have with the House of Commons when it rose? Well, I guess there's a few. I remember early on someone sharing with me, this is another parliamentarian, and they had said like, you know, question period is not real. Like we, we do the theatrics during question period and then we go back to our normal selves afterwards. And that just never sat well with me. Um, like how, like, no, this is, this is part of how we engage with each other. And so I have found question period to be more difficult. And it's unfortunate because when the most number of people are watching, um, that it seems like the quality of the discourse is at its lowest, particularly when the galleries opened up again, you had like grade five, six students who were watching this and you think, okay, this is an opportunity for parliamentarians to, to really get at and have meaningful discourse on, on what's most important to Canadians. And that's not what you or I would usually see. And there's sometimes some, some quite, there are, there are exceptions and there are some exceptional, uh, parliamentary secretaries and, and uh, some exceptional ministers also who have really answered questions that come from a less partisan. So it's, I don't want to paint the brush, you know, make overly broad generalizations, but I do find question period difficult. And then also, you know, you follow it closely, I know, in those last six weeks, the animosity between the liberals and the conservatives that led to conservatives saying their only resort was to be as obstructionist as they were, and then liberals to say their only last resort was to continue to time allocate and end debates. Um, you know, if you look at C11, for example, where it got to the point where the liberals felt like they had to introduce a motion that didn't even allow for debate on each amendment. Um, you know, I'm hearing from other MPs saying, you know, if, if we had had better relationships and less acrimony towards the end, we probably would have actually gotten a few more reasonable amendments passed. So you could even say, or I would put forward, that the quality of the legislation suffered as a result of the acrimony uh, between parties. And I don't think it needed to be that way. Um, and, 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 and it doesn't all fall on, on one. There, I think there's a kind of a shared responsibility. And certainly, you know, sitting till midnight back to back uh, doesn't probably add to the quality of the conversation. Um, but, you know, it was felt that was needed based on some of the op the obstructionist tactics uh, that that uh, that were were being uh, put forward, I thought Althea did a really uh, nice job capturing a lot of that um, uh, the kind of energy in the House of Commons in those last number of weeks. I guess the last thing I want to say though is that we still got some meaningful things done, and I think it's important to do everything we can to build trust in our democracy, and that is both in how I try to role model my role 
as an MP on the floor of the House of Commons in those, you know, 215, whatever interventions you mentioned earlier, but also to share back that, you know, we did, you know, pass conversion or putting a ban to conversion therapy unanimously in, in, in December. There were moments like that where I saw parliamentarians working together um, that I think are, 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 you know, opportunities to, to learn from and, and, and to build more uh, momentum around what's possible if we were to turn down the partisanship. Can you explain kind of the, the idea behind using routine motions? First of all, what a routine motion is, you know, kind of why they're useful? Yeah, yeah sure. And my understanding is while it was the conservatives in this session, they aren't the first ones to do this in past sessions. Uh, liberals and NDP and others have have done the same. I think the thinking is one of the tools available to parliamentarians if they want to oppose the government legislation uh, and agenda of the day is is to um, to uh, slow down or impede the ability of the governing party to move their legislation ahead. And there's various procedures. You can do that by introducing motions, by, by calling, at one point they were calling votes on which conservative member would speak next to use up another half hour of time. There was various uh, ways this was done, but ultimately it was because there was a breakdown. I wasn't in, in, in the room, of course, but in the conversations between House leaders where they're trying to kind of collaborate on, on the agenda on the floor of the House of Commons, I guess those didn't go particularly well. And of course the conservatives were likely unhappy with the supply and confidence agreement between the liberals and the NDP feeling that they didn't, they, they were trying to like look for the ways they could, um, you know, have their influence exerted. Um, but I think it is important to, to point out that they're not the only ones to do this. Um, it was the first in my lived experience being there on the house of, on, on, on the floor of the house of commons to see it. Um, and again, it, 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 it didn't need to get to that. Um, and I, I hope that maybe as we return in September, maybe the, the temperature comes down a little bit because one of my larger concerns is some of the language that's used. Because you know there were some MPs who were using words like dictator or treason. And when MPs use that kind of language, even censorship to describe C11, and as you might know, I voted against C11, but I made clear there's nothing about censorship in that bill. And when MPs start using that kind of language, that is what I then hear in the streets. It, 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 it funnels and plays on anger and a series of emotions that I don't think is helpful to our democracy. Again, it might help score political points and rally a base of supporters. Um, but I think we could do better to engage with Canadians as a whole rather than uh, playing to the sentiments of a small core base of supporters. All right. We're going to move on to a really quick rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you a question about a wide variety of topics and you're going to answer them. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> Number one, uh, the current um, salary, base salary for a member of parliament is $185,000 annually. Should we raise it? Should we lower it? Should we keep it the same? I think it's too high. Can I ask why? Uh, because I think it's more difficult for MPs to be able to represent their constituents if their salaries aren't reflective of uh, that of the average Canadian. 
And that I also feel that it's in our best interest to have people in this position uh, for their, that sense of calling as opposed to anything to do with salaries. And you voted in favor of extending uh, a hybrid parliament system until uh, th around this time in 2023. Uh, why did you vote in favor of it? And when do you think if we should end uh, the hybrid parliament? Well, first of all, we need to recognize we're still in a pandemic and uh, we need to ensure that the right protocols are in place to allow for parliamentarians to engage. Uh, again, we've seen the COVID cases amongst parliamentarians included. I think longer term, there's, there's a debate to be had. One of the points that has really resonated with me, though, is, is recognizing if we're going to do better to bring together, and we have you know, women, for example, who are underrepresented in the House of Commons, recognizing how difficult it is for young parents, as one example, to step in to represent their community as a parliamentarian. Well, if you allow for hybrid, does that mean a young mom in BC might be more able to consider uh, stepping up and serving their community in this way? So I think there's a debate still to be had about how we continue it, if we continue it past uh, the pandemic. But I think, yeah, think about how we have parliament as a more inclusive space should be part of that conversation. So Mike, uh, why did you vote against Bill C-11? because I felt that there weren't sufficient amendments in place to uh, be mindful of an overreach from the CRTC that could affect um, content producers and musicians who are making uh, revenue directly or indirectly. In short, I'm concerned it might do more harm than good. And there is some good elements of it, uh, but uh, yeah, concerned it might do more harm than good. Um, and then also, you know, on Friday, we had a national, a pretty much national internet and telecom outage. There are a wide variety of suggestions being made from people on how to prevent this from happening again, all the way from government needs complete control to open the markets for competition and maybe a little bit of both. Where do you stand on how we can improve and prevent what happened? Well, I think it demonstrates the need to take some action. And the reality that when you limit the number of competitors to see the impact that you know one company's uh, uh, mistake can have on our national security, even, and so I think it's important. You know, before I jump to here's the recommended solution. You know, some are calling to uh, nationalize telecommunications. Others for more competition. I think all of those should be on the table. And certainly, as there's discussion around a potential merger to further limit competition, that's, I think, demonstrates why that's such a, con a concern. And that's, uh, of all the options, not the direction that we should be going towards. And last spring, you were in the speaker's chair for a, a period for a short period of time. What was that like? I so appreciate you caught that. That was such an honor uh, to be asked to sit. It was, of course, a little bit surreal when they kept saying Mr. Speaker and they were uh, folks were referring uh, to me. Um, and I hope to have a chance to, to do it again. Um, there is, you know, as someone who I, I really think it's important that we hold some decorum in, in the House of Commons and that, of course, the, the Speaker has an opportunity to have an influence on that. Um, 
and I, I had some, you know, really kind comments from a number of other parliamentarians afterwards. And so it was a, it was a real honor to get asked to do it. And lastly, if you were to give your, you know, uh, 14 year old self one piece of advice, what piece of advice would that be? Be willing to continue to take time to listen to the advice from others and might sound cliche, but maybe some cliches are true to, to follow your heart. And my sense is when I've made choices throughout my life that have been based on what I know is true in my core, um, I've never been let, been let down. Awesome. Mike Morris, thank you so much for taking the time for me today. Uh, thanks again. This is such a, um, a joy to be with you again. And, and, and hopefully over the coming months and years, uh, we'll have a chance to chat more. For the rest of the episode, I want to play a conversation that I had with Mike in December of 2021. This conversation was about electoral reform and why he thinks Canada should use a system of proportional representation as opposed to our current first-past-the-post system. Here's that conversation now. The Green Party has two seats in the House of Commons. The other one is held by uh, former leader Elizabeth May. Um, the Green Party and yourself are very big um, advocates for electoral reform, specifically, you know, a system of proportional representation. Can you tell me why, you know, you're in favor of electoral reform? Uh, yes, because every vote should count. Because I spoke with thousands and thousands of people across my community, many of whom feel very disengaged in the political process. And uh, for many, they say, well, yeah, I know, I know it doesn't matter how I vote. And there are some writings across the country where, um, you know, the same party has been elected every single time um, with wide margins, uh, rendering everyone else's vote um, not really heard. And so to me, it's just ensures, so we can talk more, of course, you know, it's going to lead to more diversity in our elected representatives, of course, leads to more collaborative uh, discourse. Um, but most importantly, it just leads to a higher fidelity in terms of the quality of our democracy and in terms of people's voices being heard. And that ultimately, every single vote you would expect, right, when we think of a good democracy, You'd think that every vote would be represented in terms of who who is then speaking on behalf of and making decisions representing Canadians. And so, you know, most healthy democracies around the world have already made this change, right? We're one of the last few who's holding on to this outdated, inefficient, and uh, a system that lacks good representation. Yeah, and you mentioned we're one of the last ones. All but two countries in Europe actually use a form of proportional representation. And, you know, it depends on the country, but often forms of proportional representation result in a minority government, right? So, you know, collaboration is really important, but, you know, some of the opponents of proportional representation will say that kind of creates, you know, um, a lack of stability in the government or in the House of Commons. What do you say to people that are saying, we need a government that runs for at least three to four years, and we're not at, we're not at the polls every two and a half years. I'd say what's far more important 
is a government that reflects the interests of the people it's been elected to serve, <laughs> right? That is democracy. And so there are times, New Zealand, for example, uh, in New Zealand, they, they, a majority of New Zealanders, uh, they voted for, um, pro pro proportionally, they voted for the current government. Interestingly enough, even with a majority, that government still brought in ministers from other parties. So uh, I believe it's the Minister of State in New Zealand, James Shaw, is a Green. And so I find it's, it's so interesting that even when in a majority, in a PR sis system, there's been a greater sense of collaboration in the model, that you're still seeing more collaborative behaviors even when it's not required. Um, and so we've also seen, we can give examples, but I'm sure you know them really well, of Canadian minority governments that have passed and moved through really meaningful legislation. So I, I also don't totally agree with the thesis that you need a majority to get things done. Um, minorities have and will continue to do really meaningful work in our parliament. And ultimately, to me, the the most, the highest priority should be the fidelity, the quality of our democracy. Yeah. And that's a good point that you make about, you know, um, how collaboration can happen even, you know, uh, among parties, right? Uh, for example, the latest example in Canada would be the unanimous passage of, I want to say it was C3. Uh, C4, but yes. Yeah. Um, and that kind of shows, you know, how, um, there still is collaboration to be had, even in, you know, obviously we're in a minority government right now, but um, kind of interesting to follow, you know, the collaboration between parties. Well, and even just between parliamentarians, right? Like all of these, all 338 MPs are, have been elected to serve their constituents. And I'm not naive to the way that partisanship distorts things, but ultimately, every MP has 337 other co colleagues. And on topics like housing or climate, we can all agree we're at crisis levels. And again, under PR, it would be easier, but even in a minority, there's opportunities. I'm seeing as I'm starting to build more relationships with other MPs to find that common ground. And of course, in the minority, that you know, puts all of us and the government in particular in a position to be more predisposed to listening to one another. Pretty important thing, right? Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, we're talking about kind of the percentages at, you know, a national level, but, um, you know, the prime minister has said that he is still open to a system of ranked ballot. Um, do you think that ranked ballot is a suitable alternative to proportional representation? Well, it's less about what I think and more about what experts have reviewed, right? So we had a whole set of parliamentary committees on this back in 2015. And they studied and they listened to hours and hours of expert testimony. And they actually found, you know, they made a recommendation, of course, as you likely know, for proportional representation. Well, one of the things they also found, though, is that under a ranked ballot, there's actually the potential to further distort the views of Canadians. Um, and so for that reason, um, I'm not a particularly strong supporter of a ranked ballot. We'd be replacing one 
unrepresentative system with another. Uh, sure, it's got pros and cons. Um, and first past the post is uh, broken in so many ways. Um, but if I'm, if I'm going to be, if you want, you know, straight up the question, you know, would you advocate for it? I'm going to focus my advocacy on a system that we know leads to better outcomes, leads to more diversity and representation, leads to more collaborative uh, approaches, and that's any form of truly proportional representation, with which a ranked ballot isn't. Yeah, and I guess my next question for you is what legislation, right, under the a system of proportional representation or an organization called Fair Vote Canada, which I know you're doing some work with, um, basically said, you know, the Green Party would have, I want to say it was 11 seats under a system of proportional representation. What could the Green Party do with those nine more seats in the House? Well, so it's probably true. Um, and I'll start by answering your question, but then there's a bit of a tangent attached to it. So certainly um, one of the important marks is as of 12 seats in our, CIS, our system in Canada, parties are then recognized with what's called official party status. And with official party status uh, comes, you know, the ability to sit on committees, for example, um, that, you know, currently as a party of two uh, is not uh a privilege that Elizabeth and I, as two Green MPs, currently have access to. There's research budgets. Uh, there's a variety of additional support. And other parties, including the Conservatives back in 1993, were down to only two. Uh, the NDP and the Bloc at times have found themselves below that 12 seat number. Um, so that's a pretty important um, mark in our system, as well as better representing the you know millions of Canadians who voted green in other ridings across the country and who didn't get over 50% or the majority in any one riding and so then their voices aren't heard what i want to add though is my my interest in proportional representation isn't about getting the green party more seats it's um, that is an outcome as a result of being more representative my interest here was long before I ran as a green. It's really just about instilling a greater sense of confidence amongst Canadians in our democracy and getting a, a, a better representative voice heard, which means there would be a variety of perspectives. In this past election, for example, it would mean that the People's Party would have a voice in the House of Commons. I don't agree with the vast majority of what was in the People's Party platform. However, I still support proportional representation because those are voices of Canadians. And if Canadians have a position, even if it's one that I don't agree with, I still feel that democracy is best served when that when the voice of people is represented in their government. That's what we all expect from a good democracy. Um, so. Whether it ends up leading to more green seats or not, or you know, look at the math for any one party, outside of that politics of it, uh, proportional representation is really just about improving our democracy. Yeah, and my last question for you, Mike, is there's currently a bill on the floor of the Senate to lower the voting age to 16. Are you in support of this? I am. Um, and the party is as well. 
my interest in reducing the voting age is just recognizing that young people have the most at stake. Um, whether you talk about housing, climate, um, systemic racism, all of this, the time horizons on so much that parliamentarians are making decisions on are far more than the four-year political cycle. They're decades and in some cases generations. And so to me, if it's young people who have the most at stake, shouldn't those same young people have their voices represented? And having you know seen the number of young people who joined to be knocking on doors, um, to me that we're not giving them the chance to have their voices heard in this way, uh, I think it would, again, it would, it would improve our democracy um, and it would ensure that, um, yeah, that, that, that young people who I spoke with and had to ask their parents to kind of lend them their vote this time around, uh, well, in my view, they should be able to, uh, to have their voices heard directly. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Mike. Thanks to you too. Thanks for having me again. political debrief i hope you enjoyed it to stay connected with the show you can follow me on twitter at josh oliverio and the show on instagram at political debrief show those links are down below as well if you want to listen to the full unedited version of my interview with mike so that includes part one and part two that's also linked down below in the video and podcast description if you want to sign up for email alerts to receive an email when a new episode is posted you can sign up for those at politicaldebrief.com Thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you on the next episode.